I'm going to say the same thing that I say to all the male VC partners that I've had conversations with about their struggles to find amazing, diverse talent for their funds is you just need to look harder. Hello and welcome back to the Associated Podcast. While we're working away at the next season of Associated, we have a special treat for our listeners. We were delighted by the feedback we got for our mini-series on the influx of US capital into the European tech ecosystem, and we've decided to release a few of the raw interviews in full. Today, we have the pleasure of releasing the interview we did with Judith from La Familia. It's a pretty interesting deep dive into how one of the best emerging seed funds in Europe views competition, collaboration, and the way that the ecosystem is evolving. One thing that I think is worth keeping in mind as you listen to this interview is that it was recorded in Q2 this year. That being said, we've listened back through to it and think a lot of it is extremely relevant, even in today's market. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Judith, would you mind introducing yourself, please? My name is Judith. I'm general partner in La Familia. We're a venture fund based in Berlin, investing across Europe and the US. And at La Familia, I focus on things like the age of the employee, anything data and enterprise tooling. So I am German. I was born and raised in Munich. I've spent a lot of time abroad, first in France, then in the US, then in England, and then in Ireland before I decided to come back to Germany. In my past life, I worked at Facebook where I was on the sales team working with fun companies like Amazon on scaling their ad presence on the platform. You described a bit about your fund. I, I know you have a unique kind of thesis, so it would be great to hear a bit more about how La Familia views the world. Yeah, so we basically invest into tech companies that enable or disrupt large industries. For us, that can mean verticals like insurance, anything industrial, but then also more horizontal spaces like enterprise. So any company that really tries to transform the surface of what the big industries powering our world look like is a company that we'll be very interested in. I heard something interesting there of like you you doing Facebook, such an interesting sounding role. Why venture and why La Familia? So I really stumbled into venture capital. It was not some grand master plan that I had ever since I was a little girl. At Facebook, I was really on the ad side of things. So I was basically working with companies that spend a lot of money on Facebook and making sure they get the best performance out of their spend on the platform. So it's quite a data-driven job. And with Amazon, which is one of the biggest kind of customers of Facebook, it was a particularly challenging job also because they have so many countries and so many SKUs and things they do. Because I saw how effectively a company like Amazon is working with data in terms of optimizing their customer acquisition costs, but also customer lifetime value, I really wanted to bring that to all of the amazing companies that friends and peers of mine had started back from university. They had all raised venture funding. And especially if you run a more kind of consumer-focused business, a lot of the venture funding you raise will end up in customer acquisition costs. And if you don't manage that cost well, that can really hurt the business. And so I wanted to basically bring the insights that I had gotten through working with these really big customers to the younger companies, the venture back startups. And so that's how I got to work with more VCs, basically started an, an initiative, which is called the Facebook VC program, which still exists today. And through that, got to work with lots of exciting, fast scaling venture back companies on kind of bringing down their customer acquisition costs and making them use data more effectively to optimize their performance on the platform. 
And then through that, I got in touch with a lot of VCs again, one of them actually being La Familia. And it's a funny story because full disclosure, we really mean the Familia thing because Jeanette, uh, who initially co-founded the firm, she actually was also the first investor in my back then boyfriend today husband's company. And so it was both on the private as well as the professional side that I got to work um, with the firm just when I got founded, when I was still at Facebook and then met Jeanette, thought she was incredible, thought kind of the vision of combining the established industry in Europe and amazing, but really also old school companies that, you know, make up the face of European industry with the disruptors and the enablers from the digital tech side. And that would be something that's really promising because it really speaks to the strengths of Europe. And it's something that I just felt a real calling for working at Facebook with a company like Amazon. It felt a little bit like even if I put in 24 seven for this work, it would not really move the needle in terms of these two companies already being like massively successful. And going back to, I think the roots of uh, why I love Europe and, and all the things that make me a very passionate and proud European. I just wanted to do something where I felt I could have a bigger impact. And I really found that in La Familia and the mission. That's an amazing story. Fantastic. So great to, to hear about quite literally La Familia. I was thinking that maybe she was going to be your cousin, but something like that. But even better that she, she invested in your now husband's business. From my understanding, you've been at La Familia for a little bit over four years, but then you also had that exposure when at Facebook with startups and VCs. So been around in the ecosystem for a little while now. I'd like to learn a little bit more about how you feel like it's evolved over that time. I think the industry has really exploded since I started. I think I started five, four and a half, five years ago. It was like November 2017. Back then, I mean, we had a bunch of amazing VC funds in, in Germany already and obviously in Europe, but it was still a somewhat nascent ecosystem. I think especially also when it comes to B2B focused investment theses, obviously there's a ton of funds that are, are decades old, but in terms of just the explosion in micro funds and just the next generation of VC funds, I was really lucky to be a part of that. In terms of the ecosystem size, it's just gotten a lot bigger in terms of number of funds. It's also, I think, gotten more specialized and more professionalized in terms of portfolio support, in terms of funds really stepping up their game when it comes to supporting with hiring, supporting with sales, supporting with now even design practices, as I'm hearing from some funds, they have like internal designers that really help their portfolio companies show the best face to the world they can and also interact with customers accordingly. I think, you know, that's something that we'll continue seeing this like specialization and professionalization of the industry. And then I think last but not least, comparing to when I started in the ecosystem, you know, I, I think diversity is obviously a topic that's very important to me. That's very dear to my heart. Um, Given that I have migration background, I'm also a woman, but in the beginning, it, it still very much felt like every single room I was entering was the only person to enter the, that room that, that looked like me. And fast forwarding to today, I still have diversity issues and, and the numbers still aren't where we want them to be. But the ecosystem, I think, has also made tremendous progress. And I think that also has to be called out and also has to be applauded, I think, especially when it comes to, you know, female talent, especially younger female talent that's starting in analyst and associate roles that, then I think over time we'll also graduate into more senior investment roles. But then also, especially when it comes to you know, people with migration backgrounds, to people from different, you know, kind of cultural backgrounds, I think that's another really important thing that the ecosystem is now paying more attention to. Not as much as I think I would like, but I think that's another very clear positive change I'm seeing. And so I think that's probably the three ways in which the ecosystem has changed the most. 
I echo some of seeing that I started trying to get into venture in 2017, and I've definitely seen the makeup of the people in a VC fund change over that period of time. Maybe to go back to those changes, what do you think was the, the main kind of catalyst, like what caused so much expansion? I think just the beautiful promise of European technology and European innovation. At the end of the day, a lot of the things about the venture ecosystem or the startup ecosystem are based on networks. So if you go back to the early innings, it could be Rocket Internet or it could be the first companies to really get to scale in Europe. Um, a lot of that was, is not old in terms of industry. And so I think it just took this initial push. It took companies like Rocket Internet, think of them what, what you like in terms of having the business model, but it took this initial entrepreneurial push for an ecosystem to be able to be created and thrive on the back of that. And so I always went to my husband, who I tend to spend a lot of time with, like he's a founder and built a company and has now, the company's a couple of years old and he's now invested into a bunch of companies that were started by engineers or product um, teams that he hired who then moved on to start their own companies. And so these amazing and really powerful chain reactions, network effects were knowledge were obviously also capital is passed on from one kind of company generation to the next to the amazing talent the company is able to onboard. That just took some time to, to get started. And I think we're really now, I call it the roaring 20s of, of European venture. We're now really seeing that the density of that underlying network is now at a point where there's so much kind of cross-pollination and there's so much talent that can feed this ecosystem that I think that's really the biggest drive behind the change is really kind of the talent base and just the overall kind of number of amazing, very high quality startup opportunities that VCs can invest in. And then on the back of that, obviously, you also had venture funds that were able to raise ever more significant funds. I think the, the median number of like European venture funds at 80, 80 million um, last year, right, which is a significant increase over the years that the ecosystem has seen in terms of new funds getting started. Let's see what this year is going to bring. But I think these things coming together, more capital that's available, but also very much, I think, first and foremost, this amazing talent base and this amazing kind of quality base of companies is what's behind that. I, I absolutely agree. You mentioned that you've seen quite a bit more diversification of different fund types and, and niches that everyone's going into to, to make sure that they have an opportunity to stand out from the crowd. Love to know in regards to La Familia, what would you say is your pitch to, to the ever increasing ecosystem? We're not a jack-of-all-trades type venture fund. I think there's a really important and big space for massive venture firms that have amazingly big teams and can really support with everything because they just have the brute force of like amazing teams and amazing resources. We're a much smaller team. We're now about 15 people. And we think it's very important for us to focus on something that we then do really well. And I think when it comes to differentiation on the way that we support founders, the one thing that we really focus on and the, the thing that sets us apart is we have an incredibly strong relationship base. We say relationship because I think network always sounds very transactional and we don't really think about 
relationships that way. We think it's something that you pay for it and it's something that you build over time. In our relationship base, there's a lot of different companies in all kind of different shapes and sizes. A lot of them big corporates, but also what we call the German Mittelstand. So all the mid cap companies. And since we focus on kind of B2B companies that, that end up selling either to small companies or to medium sized companies or to really big companies, what they all need support with is getting from zero to one, getting that first customer introduction. And very much coming from Germany and investing in a lot of German companies, but also in, in Europe more broadly, the whole you don't get fired for hiring IBM syndrome still is kind of the case. The industry per se has gotten more open over time, but it's still pretty difficult for a lot of companies to get the first couple of customers and to get them to trust them with, I don't know, three to 500k ACB contract and you know, some significant data and whatever else comes with that. We just help by making a ton of introductions, having a lot of events and just really seeing ourselves as this trusted access platform for entrepreneurs or um, business executives with all different shapes and, and, and sizes to come together and to really find the benefit of enabling our disruptive technologies for the future. I think that's the one thing. So very focused go-to-market and sales support. We obviously also support with hiring and all the other things that companies need, but we're just also mindful that if it comes to our T-shape, kind of the sales go-to-market focus function is always going to be our, our biggest focus. And I think another thing that sets us apart is we have an amazing team. I think all of the venture firms out there have amazing teams, but I think it's still quite unusual to see a fund whose face looks like the face of the world out there, rather than some very small slice of um, what we might think the world looks like, but it doesn't really look like that. And so I think the fact that we have a very diverse team, I don't just mean that in terms of gender, I also mean that in terms of like migration background, but also in terms of having engineers, having people who come from a social science or even philosophy background and really having these very different perspectives around the table. I think putting all of that together in the end makes for a culture that's very low ego, very focused on collaboration, very much focused on just getting to the best outcomes together. We're not really fans of saying, this is my company or your company or my deal, or your deal. It's really our work and it's our track record as a firm and as a team. And I think the diversity that's engineered into our team from the beginning, because I think we had a diversity set up from the top, which helped us to find these amazing talents. That is really something that helps us stand out. And it's something that more and more founders are also playing back to us. It's not something that we advertise. It's not something that we focus on, but we see that founders really appreciate and see it and even call it out in feedbacks to us. So I think these two points taken together, I think those are the things that we really thrive and excel on. I love everyone in the team, so I'm a bit biased, uh, but yeah, I, I think what you've built, especially in such a short time is pretty unique. Maybe to, to talk a bit about the, let's call it the crux of the, this mini series, we've obviously seen a, like a large increase in international interest from primarily us investors, but also other ecosystem players. Is this something you've seen as well? And do you have any kind of reads as to why they're coming now? A hundred percent. But ecosystem has gotten a lot more international over the years. And I think that's a great sign for Europe. I think why now is the world is waking up to the amazing talent that we have here. I think we've always known that. I still think the Europeans need to be told that more often because we still have this tendency to see the glass half empty and not half half full. But I think the speaking mostly for US ones now, they just the opportunity. They see amazing talent and that's why they're coming here because with especially with COVID especially with a lot of the work moving online a lot of the pace in the ecosystem increasing I think funds realized more and more that they can do business outside their main geography 
And I think that was really a great accelerator for the kind of strong international presence that we're seeing right now. For us, it was a bit funny because we've always been remote and we have an office, obviously, but we've always been remote first as a team. So for us, it wasn't that big of a change when COVID happened. But I think the thing that really, that really changed was the pace and a lot of events realizing that other than a time zone difference, there's not really that much else that hinders you from um, finding an amazing company and investing into that company if it's based in Europe. Cool. And and maybe the question is, why do you think they're coming now? So I think it, it's really, for me, related to COVID, right? It's really related to, I think there's always been US presence, especially at the later stages um, of investing, because it, that's just been an, an important source of, of growth capital for, for founders. I think why now, in terms of just the frequency of setting up offices in European capital, is because with COVID and with remote work, being a reality pre-COVID, but just being accelerated and I think it's interesting because a lot of the trends and a lot of the downturns or the market cooling off right now come from the fact that things that we accelerated during COVID now decelerated again. So speaking about e-commerce adoption, speaking about our Netflix or Peloton subscriptions, but then there's this other really curious behavior, which is international work, remote work, remote and international talent bases. They seem here to stay and so many companies are now struggling to convince all of their employees to come back to the office for five days or even three or four days a week. And, and companies, you know, are accepting and are embracing the fact that their future talent market will really be an international market. And so I think that goes both for the venture ecosystem as well as the tech innovation ecosystem more broadly. And so for me, the why now, why are U.S. funds or international funds increasing their presence in Europe is very clearly tied to the pandemic and tied to us embracing this international talent base and really understanding that the potential geographical barriers that we might have had in our minds in terms of thinking about our business activity were really barriers that existed mostly in our mind and are otherwise artificial because we can have that international presence and an international investment profile. So it's, it's, it's almost like the pandemic just woke people up to the reality that this was always possible. So before like geography was almost like a facade. Um, and it, so... it, it was, yeah, it was like, I, I would think about geography as this like bottleneck that people considered. And we now realize it's not, it's still a bottleneck. I mean, time zones are still a bottleneck, but it's not as big a bottleneck as we, as we, you know, maybe thought of before. And it's the talent base, I think is the, is the primary reason. I think that's like going back to first principles, the funds are not here just because of COVID. If they didn't think there was great companies here, COVID wouldn't have made the difference, but the talent base was always strong. The talent base was on this upward trajectory. But then the, the thing that changed in a very brief period of time was COVID and was kind of the way that, you know, funding rounds get done and the way that we also are able to, you know, do due diligences online or remotely. And so I think these two trends laid on top of each other then really created for the increased presence of international funds in Europe. Understood. And maybe zooming in on, on the kind of activity that you're seeing on the market, I think previously it was very common or maybe not what I mean by previously is maybe since five, six, seven, eight, even 10 years um, ago, you would see US funds plucking the, the best series B, C investments in Europe and then taking them over the pond. Do you see an increase of that happening or have you also noticed because perhaps this this COVID that they're going earlier, the US funds in terms of look, looking at investment opportunities? I've definitely seen US funds be active across all 
stages of kind of European companies. I think if you look at the numbers, I mean, the numbers very clearly show that the majority of the U.S. presence is still focused on the growth stage. And especially in 2020 and 2021, that tended to be the vast majority of the funding allocated to Europe. However, I think just personally and on a more qualitative basis, we've seen bigger U.S. funds do pre-seeds, do seeds, really be the first check writer into companies based in Germany, companies based in France. And so I think it, it really goes across the spectrum of company stages. And I think, again, it's all about, do you find talent that you think is very compelling? And do you as a fund, and that could be European, that could be U.S., do you think you have something to offer that entrepreneur and, and something to put forward in terms of supporting them on the trajectory that they'll have going forward. And I think country barriers, first and foremost, should not be the most important decision-making criteria here. I think it's still a decision-making criteria and it's still something to be considered because I do think that especially in the early stages, especially for precedency companies, we always say it's sort of roll up your sleeves to take people by the hand if they need that, if they want that quite messy affair. It's not a perfectly, you know, well-oiled growth engine where you just put more capital and you put more access and then the, the thing just scales by itself. But there's a lot of, as I said before, like going from zero to one work that's involved. And so I'm curious to see how that's going to play out and how the international funds who, you know, just by the definition of their operating model and of their, of their presence, that's always going to be from a gravitational center, going to be more focused on, on their origin potentially how that's going to play out and to what extent they can then really also put focused resources on the ground in Europe. But then I, again, seeing that there's also a lot of folks relocating, really opening offices in Europe. I think that's super encouraging. I think that really shows that they're here to do the work, that they're, you know, not just here to be a remote source of capital, but they're really here to pull up their sleeves and, and get in the ring with us supporting, collaborating, also competing for companies. But I think that's going to, that's going to raise the bar in terms of quality for all the funds that already are present in Europe and might be native European funds. I think the more competition, the better. It really raises the bar for what we're all trying to achieve for founders. And you, you touched on the competition and collaboration there. And I guess you mentioned that it, it's both. I, I don't want to put percentages on it, but how many parts out of 10 are, you know, the new sources of capital collaborative versus competitive? That, that's the beautiful thing about venture. You're competing with one fund in the morning. And then you're collaborating with the same fund on a company that you're already invested in or a company that you're sharing notes on or you're sharing thoughts on that same evening. So I really don't think we should think about it in terms of this delineation. I think right now in a world where we think way too much about delineations and like Europe versus the US, it's not Europe versus the US, it's Europe and the US. And it's not competitive versus collaborative. It's that the nature of VC is always both. And I think that's such a beautiful thing about this industry. Like name another industry where your competitor can also be your closest collaborator in the same day. Like typically your competitor is your competitor. And, and, and that's the full story. I would say it's probably 50-50. I had to put a number in that, but I think that really is the beauty of this market. I'm an athlete um, or I used to be an athlete. Sorry, I, I'll take that back. I used to be an athlete. I very much am no longer an athlete. And I used to do athletics or track and field or whatever you want to call it. And when it comes to just running and running really fast, you know, you would always want to run next to the person, like in terms of on the track, you want to run next to the person that's the fastest, because the faster the person next to you runs, the bigger the chances that you're going to increase your best time. You're going to increase your output because they're running next to you. And that's really setting the bar for the pace at which you can run. So I really think the U.S. learning from Europe, learning from you know European investors, learning from the amazing talent, as well as us learning from them. There's so much that all of us can gain. I'm really a big fan of just saying, 
the more competition and the more bar raisers that we have, the better for all of us. I think excellence comes from excellence and comes from these really dense networks that get more and more intertwined. And just the, the chances of meeting people who really care about the work that they do as a founder, or as an investor, just increases if we have like more people who come from the industry who bring potentially decades of experience from the funds in the U.S. because they just existed for a longer period of time and are just also really able to drive that input into the European ecosystem. So I think a lot of that I really, I really think very positively about. And I, I sometimes almost get taken aback by a little bit of this like delineation that we're seeing because that's just not how I tend to think about the work that we do as VCs, the work that we do with founders. And it's actually interesting, like to give you just another number, there's a study that's um, being conducted in Germany every year now. It's called the Migrant Founders Monitoring. Already now in Germany, every fifth founder has migration background. So every fifth founder in Germany was not originally with regard to their family roots or even with regard to the country they're born in, not from Germany, right? Just This just shows that this ecosystem has always been so international. It's always thrived off the back of migration on the back of people going to a place that's different than the place they came from. And it's very natural, I think, to see that on the investor side as much as on the talent and kind of founder side. And I think it's a source of increasing quality over time and just increasing competition and hard work and ambition. So it's something to be applauded. That's honestly the best answer ever. So thank you for that. I think it's absolutely bang on and, and completely aligned with, with how I see um, this exciting opportunity and interesting to know about from a founder perspective, do you feel that they perceive U.S. funds differently to European ones? I think that's a really interesting question. And I think they're definitely, I am not sure what percentage of founders that would be. Maybe it's like 25% if I had to just give you a gut feel number, a 25% of founders that have almost this like praying before the shrine of USBC type moment when they speak to USBC. It's just because we've consumed a lot of the content, a lot of the work through books, through Twitter, through blogs, through almost like this, this magic cultural storytelling of, you know, what happened like with Sequoia and Lightspeed and like all these amazing firms. I think there's just a lot of general respect in the ecosystem, like a particular set of founders that I'm seeing, which I think is great, which I think, again, just shows that there is knowledge that's being passed on and there are stories that's being passed on. And obviously brands are incredible and these brands have been built over decades and they're pretty strong. I think other founders are maybe more, I don't know, serial entrepreneurs. They mostly care about, you know, kind of the dilution. They mostly, they've been around before. They know that obviously investors matter. Investments are important, but at the end of the day, driving the business, I think for them, it maybe comes down to more of the dynamics of the funding round and more the, yeah, the economic factors that are associated to that. Um, and then I think there's a different set of founders that maybe, you know, particularly cares about one or two very clear sets of expertise. They really need someone with medtech uh, know-how, or they really need someone with La Familia's amazing sales B2B network or whatever it might be. Like it's something very specific they're optimizing for. And so I think it's just different founders optimizing for different things and US funds fitting into that picture differently, the same way that European funds fit into that picture differently. I think at the end of the day, what we're really seeing more and more is like US funds also being quite collaborative because they know that a lot of their focus will still be on the US and so because they're oftentimes also really big funds will be on potentially later stage companies in comparison to the very early stage companies. So we've actually seen them be fantastic collaborators in especially the pre-seed and seed rounds because they know they have a lot to gain from having other seed funds 
around the table that are native in, in the geography, you know, can help support with anything that's potentially on the legal side or hiring. Like when it comes to local networks, that can go a long way in terms of like all of the amazing things and all of the sponsors giving U.S. funds. Like they haven't all been in Europe for the last decade. They haven't all built networks. They don't, you know, know everyone that's like working here at companies, but they're really curious in, in, in trying to find out and trying to build that over time. And so I think we're seeing a lot of this like collaboration energy coming from their end into the seed markets. And so a lot of the rounds that we're seeing right now are split rounds between like kind of European local VC and then a US international VC. If that's the delineation that you want to that you want to go with, I think the, the lines are actually a lot more blurry, but, but that's actually a recipe that we're seeing more and more and founders tend to, if they have the option of having such a syndicate, I think that's something they, they really love and appreciate. Maybe one, one question, which we, we actually haven't asked anyone else before, it just came to me. A lot of the funds have been opening offices, right? So have been establishing physical presence. There are still like a decent portion of them who are investing from afar over Zoom, et cetera. Do you see like a difference in activity levels from the ones with offices here versus fly, fly by, fly over distance investors? I think yes. I don't have a, a perfect set of numbers in my head to say, oh, the, the ones are like 3x more active than the others. I think it's just a reality, right? If you're based in London, you're just going to do a lot more European deals than if you're based in New York and had to fly over for every single board meeting or every single kind of deal, even, or even assuming it's being done via Zoom, it's just the reality of you being based in New York, that's going to still draw a lot of your focus, right? So I think it, to some extent, if you would be focusing on high frequency deal flow and deal making in Europe, why the hell are you based in the US? So just come here. It's really beautiful. I can highly recommend and check out Paris. I heard it's, I heard it's great. So I think just the, the, by, by nature of being based here, you're just going to do a lot more stuff here than if you're based elsewhere. It doesn't mean that you don't also have the cross activity across the phone, but overall, from all the investors I know who are based in Paris or based in London, they're definitely a lot more active than the folks who will also invest in Europe, but they fly here every half year or so, spend a week, meet some companies, do maybe one or two deals a year, but that's it in comparison to the other investors that are writing 10 or 15 checks a year. I, I absolutely agree. And I think that is, to a certain extent, can be a bit of a challenge, hence why I think some US funds are setting up shop. But as a general overview of putting ourselves in the shoes of a US fund, how what are the challenges that you think that they face coming into the, the European ecosystem? I definitely think it's, you know, just building out the local networks. I think U.S. funds have amazing resources. They obviously have amazing networks in the U.S. that can also be extremely beneficial for European companies. They oftentimes also already have a core network in the U.S. just based on U.S. companies also having presence here and them also potentially in the past having invested in Europe. But when it comes to like really, really, really deep local networks, I think that's just something that will have to build over time where European um, funds, just by the fact that they're based here, very clearly have an advantage. So when it comes to Sourcing the first hire, the first um, office, the first whatever it might be, like all the things that startups need support with, the first contract, like getting benchmarks with regard to, is this something that's common in Germany, for example? Is this something that's common in, in France? We're investing across Europe. We have companies in France. We've got companies in the UK. We've got companies in Germany, in Spain. Things are not the same in all of those markets. Europe is not, unfortunately, in my view, one single country. It's many single countries that all have their local kind of 
ways of conducting business practices, legal specificities when it comes to employing people. Like there, there's so many nuances, even when it comes to ESOP, like if the complexity is really, really big. And it's even hard for us sometimes to navigate all of that. We're doing actually a lot of lobbying work with the European Commission, with the German government to try and homogenize Europe more from a talent perspective, from an ESA perspective, from just the ways of doing business. Like the digital single market is very much a word. It's not a reality. So there's a lot of homogenization that still needs to be done on, regu on a regulatory basis. And companies, unfortunately, are in the thick of having to navigate all of that. So now coming from the US, not knowing any of that stuff, because you have a much more homogenous, and they also have some kind of state differences, but you overall have a much more homogenous market. That is pretty foreign if you land here and do business. So I think that's something that we have someone in, in Paris, we have someone in Lisbon, we have a team in Munich, we have a team in Berlin. And so it's really important for us to have this philosophy that seed is a local game. And we need to be in the markets in which our founders are present. And we need to understand those business realities. We need to be able to support on all different things, be it legal, be it commercial, whatever it is. And that requires local networks, local expertise. And so I think that's something that structurally speaking, European funds have an advantage, especially in the early stages, but I think counts for cancel quite a bit. That was a great answer. Estonia's like e-government infrastructure versus Germany's uh, Roman-based notary system is, is always, the, the differences are humongous. There have been a number of articles about challenges in, in, in the area of hiring for US funds looking to, to come here. Do, do you have any kind of opinions on that? And I, I guess maybe if you haven't seen those articles, the, the general argument was that there isn't enough partner level talent at Europe. For, for them to hire locally? I think, you know, I haven't read those articles and I obviously don't know about the specificities of the hiring pipeline, but I always tend to say, I'm going to say the same thing that I say to all the male VC partners that I've had conversations with about their struggles to find amazing diverse talent for their funds is you just need to look harder. The talent is here and you might need to change the way you define talent based on like the lens that you've applied in the US, which might be shaped by different variables. You might need to look at those variables again and ask, are they the same? Do they diverge in terms of the way that you look at European talent and the way that you look at the European opportunity? But I think, it, again, coming back to the first principle thinking, like the funds are here because they think there's great companies and there's great returns to be made. If we just go with that thinking for a while, I don't see any reason for why that type of talent should be exclusively available on the founder side and not available on the investor side. Now, what I do obviously believe and what is obviously true is that the venture ecosystem in terms of the venture practice is a more nascent one in Europe than it is in the US. But the same goes for the talent and company kind of ecosystem. So again, I think I would always look at this from the perspective of you want to invest into something that you're building in the future and you want to also grow a team and you want to grow an investor base. We very strongly at Familia believe in growing talent in-house and helping them grow along the stages of, of becoming a great investor. And so I would always tend to favor that perspective. I'm very much a, a lover of growth mindset by Carol Dweck. And so I don't know this article, but I, I would just say take a really close look because I think there's amazing investor talent as much as there is amazing founder talent um, available in Europe. Awesome. Yeah, I, I also would, again, maybe tend to agree. It's maybe, and that this kind of rhymes a bit with what Paul from Lightspeed was saying. It's more about like changing the way you think about talent. So maybe less VCs from like central casting and more from being more, let's say, um, 
expansive in your thinking on, on that topic. But I, I'm just exactly. kind of... And that in, the interesting thing is, I mean, if you look at Sequoia, a lot of the, the talent that they brought into the firm in the US, not all of them had 10 de- like a decade of experience at, I don't know, benchmark or another fund. A lot of them are kind of founders, university grads, and the operational experience. I don't know. I think there's plenty of lenses that we can take when it comes to assessing what could be talent that could make for a great investor. So it's not like, you know, we're, we're, we're stretching ourselves too far in terms of looking for examples that already seem to be working fantastically in the U.S. Obviously, Judith, La Familia, it's not, not necessarily like a, a local fund, but has a physical local presence across a lot of these markets. And that, that got me thinking a bit about structural advantages. Are there any kind of structural advantages or, or disadvantages that let's say like a local European players have over, over U.S. players? or international players? Yeah, so I think in terms of the structural advantages, it definitely is the, you know, local networks. It's the ability to help companies hire. It's the ability to, even also in in diligencing founders, right? I think obviously with a lot of amazing international funds now being present in Europe, there's the occasional us casting on a company that then gets picked up by a really reputable, great fund. And then you have that moment of of FOMO and anxiety of, of having not seen something. But then oftentimes, I mean, honestly, only the future will tell. And obviously, a lot of the companies that we pass on go on to be successful companies. And that's just part of the game that we're, that we're all in. But I think another part of that is also that when it comes to maybe references that we pulled on a company and just insights that we might have because we might be more closely connected to a local ecosystem and might see things that other funds might not see, that could be an advantage as much as it can be a disadvantage, right? It can sometimes be good to have a certain amount of distance because too much information and being too much in the weeds can also clout your view for what's actually there and the potential that a company can have going forward. But it could also be the other way around where maybe there is something in terms of referencing or in terms of feedback that through our local networks we're able to get to that maybe would be more difficult to uncover for a more removed international fund. So I think there's always kind of advantages and disadvantages in these, you know, kind of accesses to information as well as kind of talent and all the other things that go into building a company. Uh, I think when it comes to disadvantage, I think one thing that I, I for sure think is an advantage of the international funds or a disadvantage of the European funds is just the scale of their platforms. We were lucky enough to have uh, companies who work with a lot of kind of international VCs. And when it comes just to the platforms they've built from data sources to just experts in different fields, like B2B marketing, which is still a function that is incredibly difficult to hire for um, in, in Europe, just because we haven't had kind of decades of practice in that space, that, that's obviously a big advantage just because the ecosystem has been well connected for a longer period of time. I think we're going to catch up very quickly and the numbers are showing that like when it comes to kind of growth, speaking relatively, Europe is growing more quickly than the US. So I think give us another couple of years and we'll really go head to head. But I still think from a kind of platform perspective and resources perspective, the massive funds in the US that it's just existed for a lot longer than La Familia has, has existed for. Of course, they'll have amazing resources that, again, the collaboration angle just makes a lot of sense for us then because we want to make sure our founders can tap into such um, a massive kind of platform that can support their growth as well as have the local expertise and boots on the ground to really be able to help them. So just to clarify a bit, so do you think that platform is more a function of fund size? Is that mainly... Like the advantage or is it all? I think it's definitely one of the key ingredients, 100%. If you look at kind of Andreessen Horowitz and the way that they've grown 
their amazing platform that is definitely associated to Funsai. That's also just been a key priority for the firm. So they've always potentially invested in that more strongly than other funds out there. But also the other, you know, big funds have amazing platforms. So I, I really do think it, it's the function of fund size because obviously management fee is a function of fund size. And the more management fee you have, the more resources you have to really also invest into internal teams that can really help your portfolio company scale in kind of different functions. I don't think all of the companies need massive platforms to succeed, but I definitely think having them can be a helpful resource, especially at the later stages of growth where you really need, you know, specific areas of expertise to be able to tap into and support the next area of professionalization and growth of the company. And maybe as a kind of last question, we've spoken a bit about, about platform and, and that is obviously like a kind of company facing benefit. What other benefits do you perceive from these new sources of capital? I think in general, more competition is always better. So I think just the availability of more capital is a net positive for founders and I think especially in 2020 and 2021, we saw the strongest founder market ever. Of course, we're now seeing a, a cool down of the markets, but overall speaking, we're still very much kind of founders market. And I think that's, that's driven by the increased demand for the talent that we have here. So I think overall, I think that's the, the point that's most important to call out. I think the other point is just diversity and diversity, not necessarily meaning in this case, for example, the gender perspective, but really the international perspective, right? At the end of the day, I think a key job of investors is to, to show, to hold up the mirror to founders, to ask the questions that maybe there are too much in the thick of things to be able to ask and to, to really be able to be a good sparings partner and open their eyes for other perspectives, ways of thinking about problems that could be conducive to the way they're trying to tackle a business or trying to move forward. And so I think the more perspectives you have around the table, the better you're able to then afterwards decide what the best path forward for your combo will be. And I think international perspectives are a really key part in this, in terms of just opening founders' eyes to a, a, a different way of thinking, a different way of considering the position in which they're in and all the different ways in which this could play out going forward. And so when it comes to strategy and really advising founders on that, a more international ecosystem uh, on the side of investors, hence also on the side of board members, is a really crucial benefit when it comes to kind of pushing the company forward. And the last but not least, that's a very obvious one. But when it comes to internationalization, I think a lot of our European founders have international ambition from day one because Europe very much already has internationality kind of baked into the ecosystem. You can't just build one massive business in France without thinking about Germany or thinking about the UK or thinking about Spain and the other way around. So European founders very much think, you know, kind of beyond the borders of the country in which they're operating from day one. And so I think that then very naturally can also include the US, can also include Latin or Asian markets. And so I think per se, an international perspective and an international trajectory is something that European founders think about and aspire to. And so it makes a lot of sense for, you know, U.S. funds or international funds to really be able to support that. And I think it's not really something new they're bringing. It's just something existing that they're just able to professionalize and to really catalyze and just help founders do more quickly and more successfully. Perfect. And, and, and maybe... I, I know I said it was the last question before, but the real last question is the inverse, you know, maybe what, what risks do you see associated with the new capital? And we've spoken a bit about round sizes, et cetera, but I don't know if there are any other kind of risks. No, I think round sizes and also the, the heating up of the ecosystem that we've seen you know, over the last two years was one of the key risks. We've always 
told our investors and our founders are living through bubble and boom at the same time. And it's really important to think about it that way. Were valuations overblown? Yes. Was, was the overall trajectory which we're on real and continues to be real? Also, yes. So you can be in a bubble and a boom at the same time. We always call that kind of the two Bs. But then when it comes to other risks, I think there's... <laughs> venture capital is very much it's in the name of this market, right? It's risk capital, it's venture capital. So I don't think this market ever comes without risk. I'm not a big fan of, again, putting investors in a certain category and saying, oh, these investors per se are associated with such and such risk. So there's so many risks that we're all navigating every day uh, that it's difficult to then point out the different buckets in which they fall. I think, however, one thing that I'm just curious to, to observe going forward is just, especially in the very early stages, at which international funds are investing, just, you know, what kind of level of support makes most sense for early stage founders? Because again, I think they're just by definition of their fund size and by definition of a lot of their activity contained here in the U.S. That's going to still remain a, a large part of the focus. And so to what extent can the European ecosystem also gradually take focus away from that over time? And what's the level of of resources, especially for early stage founders that sometimes do require hand holding or do require some more intense sparing. But I think overall, that's just something I'm curious to see and curious to, to observe and figure out going forward. But so far, again, I've seen kind of international funds be super collaborative because I think they know they can't be a jack of all trades. They know also the barriers to which they can bring, they can bring more hours in the day because unfortunately time is the biggest constraint for all of us. And at the end of the day, investing is always a function of capacity and how much time you can commit to supporting founders. So I think that's probably one of the biggest drawbacks, but also something that I think there's a lot of potential for collaboration in. That was a great last answer, but I just wanted to say from, from myself and also from Francesca, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Please do remember to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcasting app you use. You can also find us on Twitter at associated underscore pod and email us at associatedpodcast at gmail.com.